This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. So if, uh, if you're new here, my name's Corey. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, we're in Mark chapter 7. We are working through the book of Mark. So there's 16 chapters. Um, so we are just shy of halfway done, if you're doing the math there. Um, along the way, we'll take little detours. So coming up in October, yes, that's next month, October, um, we're going to take a little detour and, and do a five-week series on abiding in Christ. Um, what does that mean? How do we do that? How do we prepare our minds? Um, because so much of the battle for our relationship with God starts here, right? So how do we prepare our minds? How do we be still and wait in a world that is going 742 miles per hour? Like, how do we slow down and be still before the Lord and actually abide with him. Uh, so there, there's also going to be a, a little mini one-day retreat in early November um, that, that we'll have here, and it'll be used to give us practical ways for us to tangibly strip clear our calendar and re-add in things in priority order. Can I get an amen? Anybody else's calendar all sort of out of whack, and you're like, where do I even do this, right? And So we're just gonna take some practical time because we believe what the Bible tells us, which is that there is nothing more important in this life than sitting at the feet of Jesus, engaging with him, abiding and communing with him. And so we're going to practically take steps uh, towards that. So that's just kind of like, hey, here's what we do as a norm, but there's also gonna be some tangents along the way. Um, so today we're, we're looking at Mark 7, right? And we're looking at um, Jesus doing great things as he's been doing and the natural response of the people that, that encounter that. As people, as I said, we naturally praise that which we think is remarkable, Right? If there's something that we're like, that is incredible, we will naturally pray. And praise isn't just like what we do here where you, you stand or you sing or whatever. Praise is, man, when we give thought towards something, when we speak of it, when we tell others about it, right? When we sing, when we celebrate, when our lives, we give energy towards something, those are all acts of praise, right? And so just singing is oftentimes what in the church, we're like, oh, we're gonna do praise and worship. What does that mean? Someone's gonna play a guitar, we're gonna sing, right? Okay, yes, but praise is also what you do at a football stadium when your team scores a touchdown. What, what do you naturally do if it's your team? Anybody? Woo. Yes, thank you, Maggie, I appreciate that. There we go, hook them, right? There was a lot of scoring yesterday for the, for the Longhorns, not so much for the Aggies. It's okay, you have good days and bad days. Um, right, but what do you do? When, when your team scores, you naturally... You, you yell, you throw your hands up, right? We're like, oh, I can't put my hands up in church, but we'll naturally do it for a football team that we'll never meet in our entire life. It's cool, right? You know, and so we, we praise, right? When, when there's a policy change in our school system that we've been lobbying for, right? We're going to, we're going to talk about it. We're going to celebrate that. We're going to, we're going to praise, you know, when, when we have a, a new baby, what are we going to do? Man, we're going to post pictures of, of that new baby on the interweb, and, and we're going to praise the fact that we have a baby via the social medias, right? Like, we're going, that's what we naturally do as humans when we think something is, is great. I want to introduce you to uh, Miley. Um, so Wednesday, I go to pick up Molly and her friend Reese from the McCaslin's house. Stephen is our family minister, and hey, Stephen, back there. And so the, the students will meet at his house roughly every other Wednesday um, to gather together. And so I went to pick up Molly and Reese, and Stephen's like, Corey, you've got to see this. Erica knows where I'm going. She was kind of taken aback as well. Um, and so this is Miley. 
Um, I did, I did. I, I said that I would, and I did. This is Miley, and you're like, oh, cool. It's a bear, but wait. Come on, right? Come on. Is it? <laughs> that's incredible right there. Yes. And thus the name Miley. Okay, that's enough, right? But literally, he showed me this, and I'm like, that is awesome. Like, that is, it, it caught my attention. Molly, we're in the car, and Molly's Googling it, and she's like, where can I buy one? We get home, and what do you do? You tell mom about it. Those, those are acts of praise. There's something that we find incredible. There's something that we find remarkable. Now, granted, I, some of you may not find this remarkable. That's fine. We'll work on, we'll work on sensitive humor later. It's cool, right? But when we find something that we're like, that's, that's worthy of talking about, we naturally, as humans, we, we praise it. We exalt it, we lift it up, we shine the spotlight on it. Thank you, Molly. Thank you, Stephen. Do we do that with Jesus? Do we naturally praise Jesus as much as we do our favorite football team? Do we naturally think about and talk about how great God is as much as we do the policy change. As much as we do our family, as much as we do our, our hobbies. It, it's fine to, to praise these other things. They're, they're fine. But I, I sense that, that the reality is we just don't find Jesus that great. We just in reality, don't find him that remarkable. Thus the reason there's not the natural overflow of praise and exaltation and shining the light on. And I just can't stop talking about and thinking about and devoting my energy towards because I think we've just lost view of how remarkable and how great God is. And so my hope and my prayer for us today and what I think that God wants for us today is just to see that, that Jesus does great things and not just in Mark chapter 7 but, but here today that God is alive that Jesus does great things through his spirit in your life and my life here today on Sunday morning at 5925 Dillard Circle that Mark 7 can happen again that Jesus does remarkably well and amazing things, and therefore he is worthy of our unrestrained, unstoppable praise. So when we get in Mark 7 here, let's look back at verse 31. Let's get the context of what's going on. It says that Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. If you're a visual learner, I like visuals, right? I got a picture of this region that we'll put up. The Decapolis is known as the 10 cities that are highlighted in black here. So you got one way up top in Damascus, right? But then you've got these other nine cities. And it says here that he's walking along the Sea of, of Galilee, right? So this is just maybe if you want a visual and you're like, oh, like, help me know where this is. So that's the area that, that Jesus is, is walking in. Um, and it says that they brought to him in verse 32 a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. 
In Matthew 15, uh, verses 29 through 31, uh, we see that Jesus is doing a a lot of miracles, that many people are bringing the the sick or the deaf or the mute or the lame. They're bringing to Jesus um, these people, and he's healing them. And so you see that in verse 29, that he went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He went up on the mountain and sat down, and a great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered, and when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, wait for it, they glorified the God of Israel. They naturally responded with praise. When they saw the remarkable things that Jesus was doing, the natural overflow of seeing something incredible, seeing something great is praise, to shine the spotlight on it. And so that's what's going on here, big picture. But Mark, who, who's writing from the account of Peter, so just a reminder, right? Peter is the one who's present, and he's telling Mark, hey, this is what happened. And Mark is writing down this gospel they focus in on one encounter. They focus in on one person, one deaf and mute, or or a man with a speech impediment. Um, They focus in on that one person. And now the focus here is not the friends. We don't even know if it's friends. Heck, it could have been parents bringing a son. We don't know. But the focus is not on the others who bring the man. Um, But I do want to ask this question, right? We do see that there are, let's just call them friends, who bring this man to Jesus and beg Jesus to heal him. So now the focus is not on the friends, but I do want to ask you, I do want to ask myself, how often do you beg on behalf of your friends? Or are you like me? where you can barely get through the day with your own stuff, that you've got zero capacity to actually beg and plead on behalf of others. I, I, just, I just wonder sometimes, would I be that friend? Or am I too self-consumed that I, I lose my empathy and my care for others? But you just see a group of people begging on behalf of their friend. We all want friends like that, right? Like We all want friends that we can say, here's my, my junk, and they're gonna go, let me take that up on me. But how often are we that friend? Just something for us to consider and think about. But they bring this man who's deaf and has a speech impediment. We don't know much more other than that. Those are the facts. And so I, I called a friend of mine this week who's an ASL teacher, American Sign Language, and I said, hey, read this and just tell me like observations, what thoughts come to mind as you read this passage. And she said, I mean, you see it today, even with all of our advances in technology, everything we have today to help those who have, you know, hearing impairments or visual impairments, like we've got all kinds of advancements. But even today, a deaf person still feels like an outsider, still feels like here's the mass of everybody else and then here's, here's us, right? Unseen, un- unheard, discounted, uncared for. She said, it, it had to have been the case even greater back then. That this person no doubt felt isolated and discounted was probably thought to not only have a hearing impairment but, but a mental impairment because when you can't communicate with someone, when you can't understand someone, how often do we think, well, the problem's with them, right? 
So no doubt there's a breakdown in understanding one another. There's a breakdown in communication, and they, they probably just assumed, okay, this person, man, he's, he's deaf, he can't speak. I'm sure that it's not all clicking either mentally, and so this person is left on the outside, unseen, uncared for, discounted, and, and no doubt incredibly alone and desperate for a change. People physically saw him, but they didn't see him. They, they knew he was there, but he was more often than not probably considered a burden rather than a person who can contribute to life. More often than not, we approach people based on what they can give to us in return, right? Let's be honest. This man's probably not giving a lot in return. So you can imagine how alone and isolated he probably feels. You can imagine that he thinks on the regular, no one understands me. You can imagine that he longs to be able to communicate with someone who can communicate back with him. We all want to be understood. All of us want to find someone, some people that get us, that we can truly be 100% ourselves, and they're not going to go anywhere. So you can imagine the difficulty that, that he felt in life, the frustration and the weight he felt in the day-to-day -day existence of life. And so they bring this man to Jesus and they, they ask him to heal. And so now I want us to turn our focus to Jesus and what he does with this man. In particular, I want us to see three things that Jesus does that makes him great that makes him worthy of praise here in Mark 7 and makes him worthy of praise here in this room. So it says in verse 33, and taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears. Jesus puts his fingers into this man's ears. I know some of this is like, bro, don't touch my ears. This is weird, you know? So Jesus puts his fingers into this man's ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. Um, you can read this in, in the Greek and understand. He spit, and then he touched his finger to the spit, and then touched the man's tongue. In this day and age, that was believed to have healing power in this context. He wasn't just doing something wacky and weird, like, hey, let's try this out, you know? Like, okay, he was doing something that, for that context, made sense. Okay, and so, so he puts his fingers in his ears. He spits and then touches his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed, and said to him, Ephphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Three things that Jesus does here that makes him incredible and worthy of praise. And these three things apply to us today and continue to make him incredible and worthy of praise. The first one is that Jesus moves near to the one. Jesus sees and actively moves near to the one, to the outcast, to the lonely, to the unseen, to the misunderstood, to the misrepresented. Jesus sees the one, and then he actively moves near to that person. So remember our context. Matthew tells us there are great crowds coming to Jesus. 
All right, great crowd. So he's, he's come and he's trying to build God's kingdom on earth. That involves people, right? So he's got people coming to him in the worldly understanding of things, right? That translates to success, right? If you're trying to build a crowd of people into the kingdom of God, now you have a crowd of people. Great. Well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Like keep doing that. Keep running that course. Keep running that route, but Jesus, in the middle of the crowded place, in the middle of the crowded room, has the loving, compassionate ability to see the one. And not only to see the one, it's one thing for me to, to see one person who feels like an outsider. It's another thing for me to leave the 99 and move to the one. Jesus, in his love for each person is willing to leave the 99 and go after the one. And praise God because you and I are the one. We are the, the one who's outside looking in and praise God that Jesus is compassionate and love enough that he's willing to see and move near to the one. He's willing to, to leave what appears to be a successful thing. He's willing to leave the comfort of his buddies and his friends, right? And he's willing to go have one-on-one -on -one alone time with this person who's unseen, unheard, unknown, misunderstood. Jesus moves near to that one. That is incredible. Makes him great and worthy of our praise. Do you ever feel misunderstood? Do you ever feel unseen in a crowded room like no one notices you? Do you ever feel lonely or isolated? That you've moved to a new town and, and you just want your people and yet it's not seeming to work? that you've moved here for college and you're trying to find those people that see you and get you, but no one seems to see you and get you and you just feel isolated and alone. With people, that may be the case, but not with Jesus. The King of Kings. Don't just hear those words and think Christmas songs and move past it the king of the world, the one who spoke the world into existence. In a world of eight billion or so people sees you, the one. And he doesn't just see you from a distance and think, ah, okay. He moves near to you. He spends time privately with you. Is your spirit aware of how great that is? I mean, I think the biggest celebrity that I can think of in Austin is probably Matthew McConaughey. I don't know, there's probably others, but I think everyone in this room knows who that person is. If you're walking somewhere, say the domain, it's crowded, and Matthew walks by and he's like, hey. And he comes up to you and shakes your hand, introduces himself, let's go grab a drink. Come on, tell me you're not gonna flip out. You may not say a word in that conversation, right? Like, you may just be frozen solid, but tell me you're not going to be like, bro, I got to get a picture of this. 
You know, tell me you're not going to post that on Instagram and the Twitter and all that jazz, right? Like, you're, what are you going to do? You're going to leave, and you're going to get on the phone, and I don't know who you're going to start with. Maybe it's your mama. Maybe it's your dad. Maybe it's your spouse, your best friend. You're going to be like, you're not going to believe what just happened to me. Matthew McConaughey came up to me, introduced himself. We freaking got lunch together. Tell me I'm wrong. And yet when the king of the world does that, We pay no mind to it. I'm as guilty as anybody. But let's at least be mature enough to say, that's on me. The problem is not with the audience. The problem is with my heart and how self-absorbed I am with that. But the fact is that the one who created the world pursues you and me. That is incredible absolutely stunning and it should move us naturally to praise and to post about it and talk about it and get on the phone and tell someone that Jesus Christ the king of the world meets with me that's astounding but then the second thing that Jesus does he doesn't just see and move near to someone but he steps into his world and empathizes with him he feels with him. He puts his hands into the broken places of this man's life. And he doesn't just come close, but he steps into the world of this person and empathizes with him. He feels with the hurting, exactly where it is hurting. That's what he's doing when he touches his fingers into his ears and then he touches his tongue. Is he saying, hey, I not only see you, but I am reaching my life into the broken, hurt places of your world and I'm stepping into the darkness with you. Empathy will absolutely change the world. Empathy is when we humble ourselves enough to step into the shoes of another person. To, to stop seeing the world through our eyes, but to then come around the table and to see the world from someone else's eyes. To feel what they feel, to hurt with them, to rejoice with them. Empathy absolutely will change the world because Jesus is empathy and Jesus changes the world. Brene Brown is a psychologist, psychiatrist, She's got some books out and she talks on TED and all that jazz, right? Like, so she, she's, got some, she's got a pedigree and a resume and she gives a great illustration of, of empathy. She says a lot of times people confuse sympathy with empathy. Sympathy is, is feeling for someone but from a distance, right? And so she gives an example of someone who's fallen into a pit and it's dark and it's scary and they have no, they have no clue what's going on and it, it's a horrifying place, right? Anybody ever feel like your life is just in a dark pit and you don't know which way is up or down or left or right and you feel terrified and alone and isolated? Anybody else other than me? Sweet. Appreciate that. Yep, got an amen. All right. So you fall into a pit. Sympathy stands atop the pit and looks down and goes, oh gosh, that sucks. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that, that you felt that. And that's good, right? That's good. Empathy climbs into the pit with you 
and sits with you and stands with you and feels the darkness with you and understands the darkness with you and maybe doesn't even have anything to say, but it's just like, I don't know what to say, but I'm going to be here with you until we get out of this pit. Does that make sense? Who doesn't want empathetic people in their life? Right? Who doesn't want someone to step into the mess and to not just see our messes from their perspective, but to get into our world and to feel it and to see it with us. Jesus steps into our world. He feels the hurts we feel. He sees from our perspective. He knows what we're going through and he understands personally. As humans, we oftentimes recoil from the messiness of people's lives. And let's be really honest, especially when there's a disability involved. We don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to handle it. We don't know how to, and so we typically recoil from the messiness of people's lives, but not Jesus. That's where he moves in and he touches the wounds and the broken places of our lives. He, he moves into and he feels where we hurt. He doesn't just see it from a distance, but he, he steps into that with us. Dane writes in, in Gentle and Lowly, He says, this high and holy Christ does not cringe at reaching out and touching dirty sinners and numbed sufferers. Such embrace is precisely what he loves to do. He cannot bear to hold back. I'm just gonna give it a second for, to read that again. Remember when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? He could have told them, hey, wash your own feet. Clean yourself up before you come sit with me. And he would have been right to do so. But what does Jesus do? Takes a towel, wraps it around his waist, gets a bowl of water, and he kneels down and he picks up those dirty, nasty feet. Man, feet are nasty to begin with. And that's with shoes on. He picks up their mess. He starts washing it. You ever given a kid a bath? Either your own kid or niece or nephew? It, it is 100% guarantee that that water or whatever will get on you. Like you're not gonna walk out of there dry. All right? So when Jesus is washing their feet, come on, where's that dirt going? It's going all over him. Because he gets into our mess. The messy parts of your life right now that that you tend to run from and hide from and you hope to God no one ever finds out about Jesus, man, he just wants to step right up in that and grab it and hold you and wash it clean. Isaiah 53 says, surely he took up our pain. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He doesn't just deal with our sorrows from a distance. He doesn't just feel for us from a distance, but he, he steps into the broken places of our lives. There's broken parts in our life right now that Jesus, if we let him, if we are aware, will step into and care for. Don't just read this from a distance. Don't just read this as words in a book or on a page, right? Just know that this is a living God who wants to do this in our life now. So Jesus, he, he sees and he moves near. 
That's, inc- that's incredible. But then he empathizes with us in our weakness, in our hurts, in, in our wounds. He, he feels and he steps into those places. But then the third thing we see is that Jesus heals the broken. He literally and tangibly rewrites the physical world. I mean, he's the one that made it in the first place, right? He's the one that sustains it today anyways. He's got the power to literally heal. And so it says that Jesus looked up to heaven and he sighed. That sigh is in the Greek, just an inward groan of, of empathy and prayer. Romans 8 says that sometimes we don't know what to pray, and so the Spirit prays within us, gives groanings within us. We don't even know how to pray, and so the Spirit's like, I got this, I'll pray for you. He steps in and prays for us. That's what I think is happening here. He's not like sighing like, oh, another problem. He's so connected to the hurt of this man that he's groaning upwards towards heaven. He's praying in empathy and pain towards heaven. And then he looks to him and he says, Ephphatha, and that is a command to be open. And the doors that had blocked sound from entering this man's ears were opened and the chains that held this man's tongue down so he couldn't speak were loosed and Jesus healed on the spot a deaf and mute man, physically changing the course of this world and pushing out darkness. I got a sneaky feeling that if we were there, we would respond with praise. I'm just guessing. That's my guess. Jesus' purpose in life is that he he came to earth to push out darkness and to bring in the light of God's kingdom. He came to actively and tangibly push back the dark and broken places of this world and to bring in the kingdom of light of heaven. So we see the story of scripture, right? In Genesis 1 and 2, God creates heaven and earth and everything's perfect. Perfect community, perfect light, perfect righteousness. And then in Genesis 3, the devil comes in and whispers this stupid lie like, hey, you don't need God, go your own way. You can do your own thing. And Adam and Eve are like, man, that sounds good. That looks appealing. I'll go my own way. And what they do is they relationally separate themselves from God. They put in an obstacle of separation between themselves and God. And so the devil is now bringing darkness into the world, brokenness into the world. There were no deformities in Genesis 1 and 2 when things were right. There was no deafness or speech impediments. Those come in the world when sin opened the door for brokenness and darkness to come into this world. And so from Genesis 3 until the very end of time, God has been actively working to push out the darkness and to bring back in the kingdom of his light. And so in the Old Testament, God is working to bring in the kingdom of light and push out the darkness. Jesus then comes to bring in the kingdom of God's light and to push out the darkness of the devil. And then today, we're living in that place where God is still actively pushing out the darkness and bringing in his light until one day Jesus returns and it's all made right again. Darkness is completely removed and we just live in the kingdom of God by faith in him. And so that's what Jesus is doing here, is he's pushing back the darkness. He's tangibly making right again. 
Dane makes a point in this book. It's a fascinating point, right? Like, what if, what if miracles aren't really supernatural? What if they're natural, and what's supernatural is the darkness that we live in? What if miracles are just the rewriting back into how things should naturally be? And we are living in the unnatural world, the natural of sin and brokenness. What if God has more miracles in store for us than we can even fathom or imagine because that is his natural way? And living outside of that is the unnatural. Interesting thing to consider, huh? Interesting. So Jesus is pushing back the darkness, and this was promised in Isaiah 35. In Isaiah 35, God told his people this. He says, The eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Sound familiar? Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. You see, God was telling people in Isaiah thousands of years before Mark 7 that he was going to send the Messiah, the one who would come and undo the broken and fix what is broken in this world. We'll, we'll rewrite the wrongs. So these prophesying of that in Isaiah 35 and then in Mark 7, we see the physical manifestation of that promise. God staying true to his word, the deaf hearing, the mute speaking, the lame walking. Because that is what God's purpose is. I believe that God wants to tangibly and physically change our world and our lives. I believe that God has miracles in store for you, for the people around you, and the world that we live in. I do. I believe that he's got more in plan for us than, than we can imagine. But does that mean that he will always heal? Does that mean that every time we, we ask, we beg for him to heal the death, does that mean that God will always heal? No, not necessarily. Because sometimes it's only on the backdrop of darkness that the light is best seen. I bought this flashlight on Amazon. It's terrible for what it's worth. I'm gonna return it. Good, it worked. Okay, don't look directly at it, right? I'm gonna want an issue, but, but how, how bright is that? Like, you can see it. Yeah, it's okay. It, it, but it's, you don't need it, right? You can see it, but you don't need it. Okay, what if we turn the lights off, right? What if it goes black in here? A little bit brighter? Can you, can you see this a little bit better? I can't see you very well, so I'm going to need a little something like, yes? Okay, great, perfect. Like, just tell me, hey, dude, that illustration's not working. Kill it, right? Just, come on, help, help me out of here, right? So, so sometimes God allows the dark, I'll just, I'll just, no, that's going to blind me. I don't want to blind you, though. We'll do that. Sometimes God allows the darkness to be in our lives and to remain so that the light of his kingdom can shine even brighter through the darkness. Will God always heal? No, not always. Does he want to heal more than I think we think? Yes, I do. 
I believe he's got so much more. But sometimes he allows the darkness to be and to remain so that we can better see and so that others around us can better see the kingdom of light through the darkness. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, it was the darkest night. The disciples had given everything to following Jesus. They had literally left everything to follow Jesus, and then he was arrested and taken away without so much of a fight. Their hope was crushed. They thought everything was, was gone. The darkness ruled. But the reason that that dark night had to come was so that we could better see the light of forgiveness that came from his death. The, the light and the freedom that comes from our sins being nailed to the cross, if he doesn't have that dark night, we don't have the forgiveness that comes with the cross. That dark night led to him being buried in a grave so that he could rise from the dead and we could see the kingdom of his light living on earth and in heaven forever. If he doesn't die and buried, we don't see the resurrection and know that death is defeated, sin is left in the grave, and you and I can live forever today in the presence of God. And so the greatest light, the greatest hope shines brightly on the dark backdrop of the cross. And so sometimes God allows darkness in your life and in my life, and sometimes it lingers longer than we'd like, and sometimes it lingers until the end, but it's so that we can better see the light of his goodness through the darkness. So for you and me today, I believe there's sicknesses I believe there's mental illness. I believe there's emotional trauma that is broken in our lives. And I believe that God wants to heal that. I, I really believe that God wants to tangibly and physically do the impossible in this world for his praise and for his glory, just like we see in Mark 7. So ask him. Ask him to change it. Ask him to heal. Ask him to do the impossible and believe that he will. He's already shown that is his purpose is to push back the darkness and to bring in the light. So ask him for it and believe that he will. But if he doesn't, you dig your heels in and you hold tight to the truth that even in the darkness, God is for you and he is doing something for your good through the darkness to lead you to a place of abundant light that you would have never known if you didn't go through the darkness. You ask him for healing. You ask him to change it and believe that he will, but if he doesn't, don't ever forget that in that darkness, God is working for you and for your good to bring a light that you would have never known if you hadn't gone through the darkness. He is faithful. He sees you. He moves near. He feels what you are feeling. And he will work good in your life. That's what makes Jesus great. That's what makes Jesus great. We see their response. It's an unstoppable praise. Jesus even tells them, 
to be quiet, to not talk about it. I realize that's a confusing thing. Like, hey, time out, Jesus, why are you telling them to be quiet? We, we wrote a brief article on that. Um, the link will be here. It'll also be on the website. We, we just don't want to spend a lot of time um, with that. But we wrote an article answering that question. Why does Jesus command people to be silent? A lot of it has to do with timing. That his purpose is further, and if people get too loud and boisterous, it's going to stop his purpose of moving forward to the cross. But you can learn more in that article. But Jesus commands them to be quiet, and they, they can't stop. They literally cannot stop praising him. It, it reminds me of Acts 4, where Peter and John get arrested for talking about Jesus, and the legal authorities that actually have the power to, to arrest them or execute them, they'd already beaten them. They're like, hey, stop talking about Jesus. And their response is, hey, you can judge for yourself, but we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. They, they've so seen the greatness of Jesus, they literally cannot be quiet about it. So here's my belief for us. When we taste and see the greatness of God, we will not shut up about how great he is. It will be impossible for us to be quiet. When we know how great he is, praise will naturally follow the, the gathering of his church will not be some timid, subtle, like, I don't know, we're going to sing some karaoke songs today and feel good about it. No, it's going to be like, good gracious, Jesus took our sins to the grave and is alive today. That's incredible. We're going to praise him for that. I had a record of sin against him, and Jesus took that away and buried that. I'm going to praise him for that. I'm not going to be quiet about that because the whole world needs to know. And so my conviction for myself and for us is that the reason we don't praise him, the reason that we're more boisterous at a football game than we are about the risen king is that we just don't see Jesus as that great. We become too casual and complacent and common about the fact that God himself came to earth as a man to live in my place and your place who died on the cross for my sins and your sins and rose from the dead so that I can be united with God forever. That is not a message that's like, hey, it's cool, just be casual. Like, keep it under wraps. So I'm not asking you to get all, you know, go crazy and praise because it, he demands it. He deserves it. He, he's worthy of it. It will naturally follow when we see the greatness of God. It will not be stopped. And so if we are casual about our praise, we just need to admit it's because we don't think Jesus is that great. We're not in compelled and overwhelmed by the fact that he sees and comes near to us and feels with us and died for our sins and rose from the dead so that we could be forgiven and united with him. We're just not aware of all that he's done for us and is doing. So where do we go today? What do we do with this? It's one thing, and I think we would all agree, if we were there in Mark 7, like we'd go nuts. All right, if, if you saw a deaf man healed today, I, I just think that we would, we would praise him. We, we would go bonkers. And so there's a gap, a perceived gap of here and now and there and then. 
But the reality is, Jesus ascended to heaven and sent us his spirit so that today, here and now, we can see and know Jesus even closer than this man in Mark 7 did. Think on that for a second. By his spirit, we can feel the touch of God, we can hear the voice of Jesus, and we can see his power at work even closer than the man in Mark 7. Do you see the greatness of Jesus? He is still alive and moving near to us today. Jesus sees you today. He sees you and he's moving near. Jesus feels with you. He feels your hurt. He takes it on himself. You're not alone in that. He will physically heal and do miracles. But more than anything, Jesus has taken our record of sin that kept us from the presence of God. He nailed it to a cross. And in his resurrection, when we trust him, we are legitimately set free from the chains of our sin that hold us down. The only reason we would not walk in freedom today is not because Jesus fell short somewhere. It's because we are holding on to our sin and we're unaware of his presence among us. Myself and some of our college students are reading the ruthless elimination of hurry. And he says, in the chronic problem of human beings felt experienced distance from God. God isn't usually the culprit. God is omnipresent. There's no place God is not. And no time he isn't present either. Our awareness of God or lack thereof is the problem. And it's acute. God is alive today and he's here in this room. More, more tangibly than the person next to you or behind you, God is present and he speaks to us and he invites us to listen and to hear. He invites us to see him and to come to him and to praise him. Our problem often lies in that we're just not aware of his presence among us. We're so distracted by the 800 other things going on in our head. We've lived, in so, lived, lived so many years that we haven't seen it thus far where it's hard for us to imagine. And so what I really believe God wants for us today is for us to slow down, to sit, and to be still, and to listen and ask him to show us himself. I believe that he will. And praise will just be the natural outflow. Jesus is great. He's done great things. Truly. Really. 
you see him? Do you hear him? Do you know him? But he is here today. He's inviting you to turn to him, to see his greatness. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.